Welcome to the second episode of the mentoring session for Surprise Multiplayer. I am Ozzy Monroe. Are we on episode two already? It's been so long. Feels like forever. Uh, we have John and Jeremy, and tonight we have a special guest, Jen Swan. Jen, why don't you take a moment to introduce yourself? Sure. I'm really glad to be here. Thank you guys for inviting me. I'm Jen Swan, or Jennifer Swan. I'm a cybersecurity professional. I've been in the field for about 11 years, um, graduated uh, in 2012. I'm from Baltimore, Maryland. I moved to DC uh, about five years ago for this for this role here. Um, I've been director for about three years. I'm managing three cybersecurity teams and um, just happy to be here. So wait, awesome. before, we even, before we even start, do you prefer Jen or Jennifer? I wish I preferred Jen or Jennifer. I know Jennifer sometimes is, you know, three syllables. <laughs> so you could say Jen. Okay. Great intro. Second time, because we're recording this a second time, because we've done mess ups as always. But it's wonderful to have you here. Thank you so very much. So I, I, we discussed a little bit about your teams and where you are, but I also wanted to pull apart. Like you, you mentioned that it happened pretty quick. So what were you doing before in, in this current role? And like you said, you were pretty technical. So you, where, where were you before and how did the transition happen to your sure. current job? Yeah, absolutely. So um, at my current role, I was the senior manager of incident response. Um, our, we had a little turnover and, um, you know, I just realized that we needed sort of like a leader to step up and manage the teams. We were kind of without a leader. So I just took initiative because we needed to, not because I wanted to, to move up, but because I, you know, security due diligence. I wanted to make sure our security posture was, was sound. Um, and that's, that's not something I was preparing for at the time. Um, so it's just something that kind of fell into my lap, but really grateful for the opportunity and the investment that my company put in me, but I had to kind of learn quick. Yeah, that, that filling a gap when you know, like you're seeing it means there's also usually not the normal planning structure. Like, hey, this is what I want. This is what I've been working towards. So you kind of just do it. And I think it's the best way to learn. It's how I've learned absolutely everything. Um, but at the same point in time, it kind of leaves you with the doubt of, did I miss something? You constantly are like, hey, I'm learning on the job. I'm learning fast. But did I miss something? Am I, 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 is there a deficit someplace? And I have that still to this day. I still go around it. I'm very confident in my role. But I still think like, hey, what do I miss? And that never really goes away, especially if you're one of those people that constantly are pushing yourself to do more, climb to positions that's necessary not just because you want them, but because they need to be done. Um, but in this function, when you, you took it on, did you, you were a very technical incident response role. When you, do you still miss that role? Do you still miss that responsibility of like, hey, getting on the keyboard, touching the keyboard and knowing, hey, when I type this, I get output and then I get action and I know and I get that fulfillment and that feedback. By the way, I can see the smile, so I already know the answer. Well, all right. I don't miss the scary parts of your response, but I do miss the threat hunting. I do miss um, the exhilarating, like, mad dash to find things and do investigations and things like that. Um, that's just my nature. I love figuring things out. I love scripting. I love doing things like that. So, yeah, I do miss, as you said, putting my hands on keyboards and, like, really getting into it. Um, but also really thankful to be in this position 
But as you said earlier, I think you made a good point. Sometimes you feel like you missed something, um, especially when that step happens. It's something that I absolutely wanted. It just, you know, obviously didn't happen in a timeline that I, I had expected, but happy to be here. And I think another thing that I think bothers me a little bit is that, um, you know, like I said, I'm, I'm a female. There's not a lot of females in tech. I'm also an African-American female. I'm also younger than a lot of my peers, you know, in my 30s and, you know, a lot of my peers in their 40s and 50s. So like that kind of creates some doubt a little bit too, right? Like, oh, you know, this happened too fast. Like, am I uh, doing a good job? Is this what they're expecting? You know, and I think I'm trying to overcompensate for some of those things that I have in my head. There there are a couple of real things that um, most people deal with that most people don't talk about. Imposter syndrome is one of them. It's something that I've dealt with mostly all my career, still deal with it. I work to get better at it, but there are times when it I dip back into it and there are times when I build my confidence and come back out of it. Um, so that's something, as long as you're cognizant of that and you work towards getting better at it, then over time it will get better. Um, but there are the other things that you mentioned are, are real challenges that, that, you know, you may have to face. Eve, sometimes it may not be real. Sometimes you're in the room and nobody's paying attention to the fact that you're a female, younger, African-American, but you still have those feelings and you still sort of have that sort of stigma hanging over you. And you have to, you have to navigate that within yourself first. Um, and part of navigating that is the way I dealt with it is just developing a little bit of a, of a sort of attitude. Like I'm here, I'm in the room, I deserve this seat and we're just going to navigate through it. If you have a problem with my age, my, you know, my color, my, you know, the, the amount of time I've been in security, that's for you to deal with. I'm just going to do the best I can. And that's sort of the attitude you have to take on to sort of navigate those feelings. Absolutely. And I think there's, Something else on top of that is sometimes faking it till you make it is a good attitude because presenting that you got it is important. And so like and all those feelings you have, your leadership position, you have to invert that and still project leadership. You have to show that to everybody because people respond to it. I find that to be the hardest to, to, to not because it's not a truism because I do believe that's a necessary. People need to have a consistent vision. They need to believe in the person. But that transition of like, hey, I have to overcome my own issues and present a good face forward to everybody at all times. It's not a lie. It's the best way to get the the outcomes you need and for them. And they're they're happier because of it. Because they feel like there's a connection there. There's a they're on a mission. And those doubts are yours for you. And they're happier with the more sure person, the more confident person. Uh, it's hard to get there, but I'm telling you, it's it's almost an internal thing I feel myself with that imposter syndrome. And then I find that I'm even better because I'm projecting outwards. Yeah. I think you need, you know, there, there are times where you need to kind of commit to your own uncertainty in a decision uh, and just make the decision. And then when you make that decision as a leader now, as a, as a, a director, a leader of many teams and people, when you commit, uh, depending on how you react to committing to something will send a message to your team underneath you. So if you, if you commit a, uh, to a decision or commit to a goal or commit to a response uh, to a project or even a person, the, 
if you do it so strongly and if you do it in a way that uh, projects leadership and projects confidence and projects that not only uh, uh, is it going to get done, but it's going to get done correctly. That's how people will now take that, uh, that, you know, the goal and they'll treat it like that. Not only will they, you know, put it at the top of their goals, but they're going to make sure to get it done and get it done quick because they see how much, how important it is to you or important to the organization um, because and of your the, the, response. There's a, there's a very fine line between confident and overconfident. And you have to toe that I, line. I, I haven't figured that one out. <laughs> you have to, you have to toe that line. Being confident and standing by your decision does not mean that you cannot admit when you're wrong or sometimes I feel it's okay to make a decision and say, listen, I'm not 100% sure that this is the correct decision, but we, I need to make a decision. This is the, the direction we're going to head in. And if we realize that this is not the right decision, then we'll readjust, right? And we'll redirect. But that's typically done in the absence of a surefire decision, right? If you have you know, three options in front of you and one is not overwhelmingly better than the next, then you can sort of state that claim and, and, and just take the decision on yourself. Absolutely. I know John Absolutely. is smiling like. <laughs> I, I do have a question. Uh, I'm, go ahead. No, no, go ahead. I, I was smiling because um, when you're in a certain role, as you, as you get become manager of manager of manager of teams, you need doing, sometimes you need to project more confidence in something than you actually have <laughs> in order for the organization to respond in a certain way. It, it, it's counterintuitive, yeah. but sometimes like I, we've talked about this before on the podcast, John, I, I worked for somebody uh, in my last role and made a decision and he moved forward and he was always willing to make another decision to change course, but that decision was made quickly, efficiently, with the best information at time and moving forward. And he was willing to readjust two weeks later or whenever more information was available. But that moving forward, that taking that step and committing to something gets people on board so quickly. Conviction. Nothing is, it's, it's nothing like a group of people that like, nope, we know what we're going to do for the next two days. Um, it's hard. It's hard to make that decision, especially if you have a little bit of imposter syndrome, a little bit of feeling like, hey, um, I, I got here quickly. I, I don't fit in with the group as the normal. I, don't, I completely understand that. Um, but I'm going to tell you the value of your outcomes because you're going to be evaluated as leadership on the outcomes more and more. That that's the way to, that, that those, those decisive decisions lead you to better outcomes. Still means you can make changes. You can be raw. You can be, you have incomplete information making those decisions will always be the right choice. Absolutely. And, and I, Jen, Jen, I know you're going to ask a question, but just one disclaimer. <laughs> you only get X number of those. You make the decision and it turns out to be the wrong direction before you start to lose the trust of your team, right? So yeah. that's important as well. Absolutely. Um, one thing about me is it's like you, you see all the good work you've done. Like I, I absolutely know that I'm, in the four years, almost four years that I've been director, that we have come a long way. Uh, the team is thriving. 
the team is a lot bigger than it was before. We're getting to a lot more initiatives. So I definitely see the fruits of my labor and all the decisive decision-making that I have. But again, it's more of like, I feel like I have this definite uh, like thing where I, I can't do enough, you know? And I think that's really like the crux of things for me. Um, so very, very confident in like building the team, growing the team, making decisions, just, I always just feel like I'm not doing enough, but I realize that that is, again, as we just talked about my imposter syndrome, um, as I know you and I've talked about that a lot, um, on the side. So I, it's just something that I have to work on, as you guys have mentioned. And, you know, even if I'm scared, fake it till I make it, I, I definitely understand that even if I'm like, I'm sure fake it till I make it. Uh, which, you know, I I haven't really done as much. I always want to make sure I know everything. Again, I feel like I'm overcompensating all the time. And that's really, really the issue. But I do have a question for you guys. Like, have you guys experienced, uh, as I know we've talked, but have you experienced imposter syndrome? Absolutely. Um, have and still do. Uh, I mean, I, I you know, I, I think uh, at no point in my career has have i ever been comfortable enough that um i didn't there wasn't something i was i was thinking oh i don't think i'm ready for this or am i really the person uh doing uh, that has this team underneath me and this is the decision i'm about to make and because because i think it it happens in a gradient right so you'll get that feeling even if you're confident in your role there'll be a decision you need to make at some point and you'll it'll be in the back of your head like a little like something you you, you didn't remember but but you know a person that you saw thought you saw before <laughs> and you'll be like wow i'm about to make this decision and i'm going to commit and this means potentially millions of dollars of people now are gonna you know do this now for the next year you'll have that throughout your whole career it just gets bigger yeah the stakes get bigger um <laughs> It, which is it's still fun too um but i hope I, I that wanna, didn't scare you <laughs> no but um i don't uh, think he was talking to you jeremy he was talking to jen yeah uh, <laughs> my camera broke um there's something scared jeremy frozen yeah yeah uh, there's something on top of that that's really interesting um when you start taking the more responsibility the the way you make decisions becomes easier because of that. I'm doing this not just because I know it's the right choice. It's because I have a team helping making sure I have the information because I have a structure underneath me to make sure that that information is well vetted by people I trust so that you can make more decisions with less information because you know the BS, the bullshit, the stupid thing, ideas that shouldn't have you'd have to normally deal with have been vetted out by your team that the information you're getting. So you're going to get 20 minutes of a prep on an idea. You got to make a decision on, but you can make that decision because you had a team that spent four hours across three different teams going through. And they had two people go through that, spend eight hours going before that to get to their synthesis. That process is really, really important to overcome that imposter syndrome. Know that you don't have to know the details. You have to build the teams and the structures underneath you and around you to get you the information that can get you to a decision point where your experience, your time, 
and your authority and your position and all of those things come together where you could say, making this decision, I don't have complete confidence and I don't know every single gotcha here, but I know the information presented has come through a machine and a system that makes sense. That is one of the hardest things to set up. And it's the hardest thing for I see for new managers of managers to build. Because when you're a manager, nothing you do is anything like that. You're kind of somewhat doing that for your manager of managers, but the good ones are going to start building that set of sales right as you're at the director level. And you have to have it on the next couple levels up. Otherwise, you will just fail because there's no way to know that much information. Absolutely. And I actually want to dig on that a little bit. Um, you mentioned about being prepared and your team doing some of the legwork for you. How do you find balance in involving your team in decision making? Do you, I guess sometimes I feel like this is an issue that I do have. Like, if I don't have enough information, I prefer to go back and talk to my team before making anything, any major decision. Uh, something where I know the impact is not going to be like large or big. Uh, I don't have a problem, but like I find that I'm always talking to my team. What do you think about this? What do you think about this? Um, this is my my current thought. How do you feel? So like, I don't know if I'm making if I'm making the decision making process too complicated or not. I, I'm going to challenge you because I'm going to say the words you chose. I, I think everything you do is fine. Just the words you chose were slightly different, wrong, and, and you should do those sometimes. I want to make a decision about X. Bring me the answer. Not how do you feel? And then come back and say, I need it by Friday at two. And okay. then you can, but the whole point of that is they have to go behave somewhat like a manager. They're going to kind of make it. You might have to double do the work, mm -hmm. but then you can question them. You can give them feedback and you can mentor and lead them on their thinking process. Now you've accomplished two things. One, you've gotten new information you needed. You got their perspective and you didn't force your own opinions on them. So you got a fresh idea. And more importantly, they feel like they can provide raw, complete, total ideas to you rather than just responding to questions. You need to do both. You need to have that back and forth, but you also need to be able to invert it and say like, hey, I need an answer on this. I'm delegating it to you. You're coming to me. I'll take it to management. Okay. Can I, I just want to, uh, sorry, John, go ahead. Yeah, I, I would say, you know, uh, just a core of the, how to, I kind of live by the adage of get as many hands possible on the ax handle. Uh, it, not, you know, not just for the bad things, but for the good things as well. Right. Um, uh, I, I think, uh, I think at a certain point you're the decision maker, uh, for certain decisions. Right. Uh, mm -hmm. and if it's one of the decisions that as an organization, you need to make that call, uh, and your team needs to follow that you should get as, get all the people who are smarter than you mm -hmm. to give you all the information and get their opinions as well. Absolutely. I just wanted to expand on something that Jeremy said, cause it's really important. It's a lesson that I learned when I started leading my team and it, and it's key Going to your team with your preformed opinion and asking them to sort of validate that is not the correct approach because what's going to happen is you have your preformed opinion. Most of the people are going to not want to go against what you've already predetermined. 
and they're going to agree with whatever your opinion is. You might have a couple of people that will say, well, no, I, th I don't think it's A, I think it's B. But if you go in like Jeremy suggested and you say, hey, this is what we're trying to do. What's the right solution? I need the solution. I need the right answer. Let them go, well, go away and come back with a proposal. And, and then you can sort of make your decision based on that proposal. The other key part there, and it goes back to the imposter syndrome bit a, a little bit. When they come back to you or at any point when you're leading a team, if you don't understand or you don't have the knowledge on a specific area that they may be discussing or bringing to you. It's a little counterintuitive, but you have to be okay with saying, I have no, I have that acronym you just mentioned. I don't know what that is. Explain that to me. There's a lot of power in doing that. You might feel like, because I have the imposter syndrome, I don't want people to know that I don't know something, but there's, it's actually the reverse. It's, there's a lot of power in standing up and saying, I don't know that. So explain that to me. Um, so those are two key factors I think that should be uh, noted. Yeah, absolutely. I definitely, definitely agree, especially the second point about just being transparent about your knowledge. Cause I actually have no shame in that, especially if it's, if I'm working with a team um, outside of cybersecurity, like say I'm working with engineering and we're talking about specific infrastructure that's relatively new for a lot of folks. I have no problem. The heck that I did that today um, because I, I'd be doing a disservice if I pretended to know exactly what they were talking about. Right. Um, just like if I were to talk about, you know, acronyms we use, IOCs, different things like that in cybersecurity, they wouldn't know. Right. So I, I definitely agree with that. I, I definitely try my best to be transparent about my knowledge of areas I don't know. Um, when it comes to cybersecurity itself, I'm pretty confident in that and, and my knowledge. So I don't see a lot of that. But when it comes to like direction, so I have my teams, you have threat response, you have AppSec, you have different teams underneath you that I don't have, you know, I'm not doing the day to day. So I bring them in sometimes on a lot of uh, the things that come from the, from the top just to make sure that I'm not thinking about this the wrong way. But I definitely agree with you, Jeremy and Ozzy, that maybe I should change the wording so I'm not persuading them to agree with me and my approach. Um, I do see how that could come across. It's like, I don't want to go against the leader. So I definitely uh, appreciate that. Well, I, I, I want to really hit the point home. It's not just like, this is a, a bad habit of, I see of, I'd say 50 to 70% of leaders, they're the first people to talk. You should be the last person to talk. I know it's trope and everybody says it. It really is unbelievably powerful to let other people talk and then only correct when necessary because every time you correct somebody or you take something, you're wasting, you're using something up. You're using up some amount of time with them, an ability to, to mentor them, the ability to spend with them. That's really tough because you can only do so much. Um, but I, I want to pull out something that I, I found interesting in that is that the point I was making wasn't only just to not overcome, but to task them with some things of that is your work. The reason being I say that is because it's really important to give them some of your work. That's how you get less of it. That's also how you test out how they are capable and who's capable. You're going to get some of these things back, whether that, that they like 
like PowerPoint presentations, uh, strategy things that you like, hey, I need somebody to tell me what the, what, where we should be heading, um, all those things. And they'll come back and you'll be like, this is unusable. But that's something you learned about somebody. And then you can sit there and say like, hey, this person, let's go help them level out. They don't know this. That's great. I can spend time. I can train this person. I can mentor this person. Or I can say like, great, we know where your specialty is. It's not this. Let's go find some other trees and other things to go try out. What's the next thing? So there's just so much information you can get by giving them tasks and things that you need to do that will give you great feedback for yourself about who they are and whether they're able to take on the next thing. And you'll be amazed. Some of the people you thought were not capable of doing something will be like hit it out of the park. They will sit there and you'll be like, holy crap, they did that? That's amazing. Yeah, absolutely. I, I could definitely give them more tests. Um, I think my team is amazing. Um, I definitely, and I just want to call that out. I have an amazing team and I think they do a really great job. Um, but I do agree. Maybe I could give them more of some of the things that I am tasked to do um, just to I, even just for preparation um, for the next level. But um, I think that given a task, they do a great job. So I, I just want to call that out about my team. Hey, they, they can't always be great about everything. It's not possible. I mean, that's a reality. But I mean, that's the thing. The individuals have different places in the organization. They do certain things well, and you have to find out which ones fit the best parts of the role. And that's wonderful stuff to figure out uh, because then you get to, they get to be better at what they want to be. They get to show task and, and, and go deliver more value in those areas. It's pretty awesome. So Jen, what, like where, like you give us some of the problem, where do you want to go? Where do you want to take this? Where we like you, you mentioned some of the problems where you want to. Where do you want to go? What's your three-year goal? What's your five-year goal? Do you want more? Do you want to just continue doing this? Do you want to take on larger? You want to what? What? Where do you want to take this thing, the, this career of yours next? Or, sure. or before you answer, or, or are you too far in the weeds where you you can't even think about a three or five-year goal <laughs> at the moment because that's that's possible that's as well. too. Yeah, um, I think that, I mean, that's a valid point, Ozzy. <laughs> definitely on a story coming from there. Um, I think three to five years from now, I think one of the things that I, I'm really dedicated to is making sure that I'm doing the best that I can at my company and maturing the program and continue to do that. I'm aligning our cybersecurity goals with our business objectives. I'm continuing to do that. Um, as you guys have mentioned, mentoring the team a little bit more, better, making sure that I'm preparing them and tasking them correctly. So, so that's very valuable. Um, I think in about three years or a couple of years or a year, whatever that looks like, because I can't put a time on that. Um, I think I need to reevaluate to see exactly where I am. Have I given all I can to my current role? Um, and when I say that, I mean, that's when I'll ultimately want to go to my manager and expand my duties. Um, I want to ultimately become a CISO uh, at some point in my career. Um, I think right now I still am working on a lot of things and, and I think I need to continue to work with leadership on, you know, doing a lot of the forecasting and things that they're working on in coming years and things like that, mentoring a team. But, uh, I think my ultimate goal is to become a CISO at my company at some point in the future. Um, but I'll reevaluate what that timeline looks like in probably a year or two. Time Timelines are always rough. Everything changes. 
Um, so see, uh, you want to be CISO. You want to head towards that direction. You want to do it at your current company. Yes. Awesome. Uh, awesome. I, I just want to say, and I'm not saying it just because obviously I love my company a lot. <laughs> <laughs> I think that I have the best management and I have a great team. As I mentioned earlier, like I spent a lot of my years in cybersecurity. I know you guys have spent a lot of time in your careers as well. But this is the first company where I saw like they really invested in me and um, they believe in me and they believe in my leadership. So I don't want to let them down. And I think that's where a lot of my concerns and, and of course, my internal thoughts come from. Um, so I, I found a home here and if possible, I would like to grow at this place. So. I'm going to say something that is not appropriate for the company that you're working for, because I know who you, some of these are. Um, a company can't have loyalty. It cannot. A person can, people can, groups can, humans can. A company cannot. And so your career and who you are and where you're headed is always going to be a priority for you and only you. Do not just do loyalty to a company. It is the biggest mistake I see for everybody, anybody, is to think that they a company can return that loyalty. Doesn't mean you can't be loyal. Doesn't mean you, but they are inherently not a human. They're not a person and they cannot be loyal back. I, I, I agree. So I'm going to, I'm going to agree with Jeremy's statement, but I'm going to, I'm going to word it slightly differently because I, I think that, you know, a, co a company isn't, a company's not, a, uh, at least yet, isn't something that can, isn't conscious. And, uh, you know, it, it's the sum of all its parts and it's absolutely all right to, to, to be part of a larger team and to be loyal to people and relationships that you have as a professional. And, um, often for, for many of us, that, that is a good portion of our career is at a handful, sometimes companies in some cases, you know, maybe two, one company. Um, but, uh, I, I, it's always important to remember that, you know, it is the people that you work with, right. It's, it, and it's the relationships. And even though you're all working towards the same goal, uh, for the company you're employed by, um, your your power in that company is, is your, is what you've, uh, you know, is built through the people that you have relationships with and, uh, you know, and the good things you've done because of those relationships. It's, it's funny. I sort of agree with the sentiment also. And I was going to say the same sort of thing, just probably couched in a different way. <laughs> you get to a point where you realize that you have to dedicate some focus to yourself. And what I mean by yourself is not just improving yourself so you can be a better employee to the company. It's just being a better version of yourself. And, and, and however that sort of materializes, however that looks for you, that's what it is. For me, I'm at the point where I start to think about sort of my legacy. And I don't want any age jokes, John. All right. But I start to, I start to think about my legacy and. When it's all said and done and I'm no longer here, what are people going to remember me for, right? Are they going to remember me for my current position? Are they going to remember me for the DNI work that I do with other organizations outside of Bloomberg? Are they going to remember me for my volunteer work? Um, that's what's important to me. And that's sort of what I'm working to build up now um, in addition to networking and, and getting myself out there more because... That's important because I don't want to just pigeonhole myself into 
just knowing the people within my company. I've done that for, for many years. And now I, I'd like to expand that. But those, those are the bits that I think are important. And I think that satisfies the same thing that Jeremy said, same thing that John said. It's just, just a different way of saying it, I guess. Yeah, I just want to say I agree with all of you. I think you all make very valid points. Um, definitely uh, cultivating relationships outside of my organization. Um, even though that's something that I would like, I understand that that in the I can't really tell what the future holds, but if you ask me now, I'm just really happy and comfortable where I am until I'm not. And then that's really kind of what I was getting at, but I, I do agree. I think Jeremy, you, you said it very well and I, I definitely understand where you're coming from. I think all your points are, are very valid. Uh, John, I agree. The relationships that you have, kind of speaking to Jeremy's point, um, right now I have those relationships now, but those people may not always be there. So that could change, you know? So I totally understand that so those relationships i cultivated may not be the same relationships in five years you know so i, I understand that and ozzy i think you also make a great point um and that's why i'm so dedicated to a lot of the products that i have outside of my job and work um working on a lot of things you know i do a lot of dev things projects you know i've, I've worked with meta i've worked with a lot of different people on special projects so like i definitely am not a single looking at my company, but for my cybersecurity career, uh, this is where I am at right now. Awesome. Yeah. Awesome. I just, the amount of people that don't have that external connectivity, they don't go explore it because they are so spending so much time and their mental capacity in working towards the current company that they're at, that they're not doing that. I'm wonderful to hear that you're doing beyond that and you're growing your network, you're growing your people and your relationships beyond that because ultimately that's the most important thing. You've said much better by John and Ozzy is the people um, and how we, in Dominant is where you work, but there's a lot more companies out there. There's a lot more great people to spend time and build relationships with throughout and it's wonderful to hear that you're doing that. Um, so what is it about the CISO you want to do? And the reason why I say that is I, I'm not interested in how to get there, but why you want to be in that position. What do you find enticing about it? What do you want to be there? Is it the process? Is it the methodology to get there? I, I'm going to say a word, but I feel like you guys are going to come back if I say this word. That's fine. No, no. And I no, also don't no. want to say it. <laughs> no, um, no. Say it. Say it. More flexibility and freedom. And I, I understand that that is very limited no matter what I do. Um, but I kind of have a vision for the cybersecurity program. Um, and that's not something I can implement right now the way we are. So, so explain flexibility and freedom. I think that's important. The freedom to build the cybersecurity program exactly the way that I see it maturing. I feel like Right now, again, I just don't want to give too much information about how we work, but um, right now, some limitations. And um, I would like to see it grow a little bit beyond where we are. Um, and unfortunately, just the way that we're set up, it's it's not possible. I, I'm going to say at my one of my last roles, when I took over a position much like yours, I took it to do that because I thought it was done wrong. Um, and this is a driving force of who I am. Nothing will make me do more work faster than saying it can't be done or showing me a problem saying it's perfect as is when it obviously isn't. And so 
And I spent a large amount of time in that role, two, two years, ripping it down and feeding security through the entire company because I thought it needed to be fixed and it could be better. And that drive and that vision is awesome. And that's what leadership is about, is having a vision and then saying, I'm going to go do that and I'm going to go drive it. And so that's awesome. That's a, a good reason to want to be a CISO, not for title, not for control, not because it gives me the authority and power, but because I want to make this place better because it's a support role. It's a leadership role, but it's still a support role. And you have to be wanting to make the company better in order to be effective in that role. You can see, Jeremy, I'm obsessed with making things better. So. <laughs> so what other challenges are you facing or maybe some other questions that you might have for us that we can try to help you with? How or so what are the things that I'm really happy that we're doing now is that I get in front of our CEO a lot more and I can explain um, the various initiatives we have going on, uh, the various uh, our status in each area and across our applications, our security pressure, our infrastructure, all of that. How what are some things I get one of the things that I really want to do is focus on things that the CEO cares about. I know he cares about all of this, but. I think I'm still struggling trying to understand what I should be presenting to him on certain things, right? Like I have an idea, he gets a, he asks a lot of questions, but I'm always trying to think like, is this really valuable to him? Am I giving him too much verbiage? Like I, I find myself going over time because I'm explaining everything. I feel like I'm just feeding him too much. So from a leadership visibility standpoint, what are some things that you guys recommend that I can do to allow the CISO, I mean, I'm sorry, the CEO to have some transparency in the work that we do. There's a definite, there's a definite art to this, by the way. There, so I'll, I'll say a few things. There's, there's definitely an art to it. Um, a good CEO will let you know if you're telling them too much or if they want to understand more. And don't take uh, the fact that they're listening to you and not responding as you uh, over-communicating. Um, and, and honestly, you sh that, that's a good note for any leader, leader that you're communicating with, not just necessarily the one that's, you know, the head of the company or even, you know, your direct line manager, in your direct line managers. Um, but uh, to to Ozzy's point, um, there's definitely an art to how to present information, uh, depending on the type of information, how dense it is, uh, and the person you're talking to. Um, you know, uh, if the person you're talking to is a CEO that is um, not very technical, but they're they're outcome you know driven, they're they're much more interested in maybe you know not having to. Um, uh, navigate around, uh, you know, an audit issue or a security issue incident, right? They, they might be asking questions that, that are, are on the perimeter of the problem because <laughs> they're trying to understand the impact and how they're going to need to communicate to other stakeholders. If the, if the, um, leader or the CEO is asking, uh, very uh, direct questions, um, or, 
or if they're they're not asking enough questions, you know, I think you need to then gauge is what you're actually trying to communicate, are you getting the right response? Mm-hmm. And if you're not getting the right response and now, you know, you, you're doing it right now, you're questioning, should I change how I'm uh, uh, delivering that, that, uh, that, that message or, or the, the update? The one thing I would, I, I would say though, is, is never, never um, not communicate something because you're worried that they're not listening. If you're on a call and no one else is talking, you're the only one talking, there are people listening to you. And make sure what you're saying uh, is succinct enough that the that you can get it across quickly. Okay, great. Advice. I'm going to use the standard. It's always about the person that you're talking to, and it changes drastically if there's an audience or not. If this is a one-on-one conversation, it's fundamentally different than a group setting, um, and you just need to know and figure out that each one of those independently. Um, as a security team, you're all inherently a support organization, unless you're a company that builds security services. And because of that, you have a lot of free information to attach to, to make sure that you're driving not just the security program agenda, but that the security program is supporting the top of line business agenda. So you can work with the technology team, the business teams, whoever, to make sure that they're have a good integration point because they're just as much your advocate in, in your support as any, as the CEO is. So if you got the, if you're there and you're not talking with the CTO, if it's like not a group setting, you might want to talk like, Hey, how is your program helping the CTO to reduce problems, to get code out in a more timely manner, to make it more secure by default, to give them less choices in the security domain so they can move faster with less, with less uh, review process, whatever it is. And then by doing that, you're coming with a cohesive strategy and nothing is going to be better to a board of directors or a CEO. Oh, I got people working together and they're making things better. Oh, this is what I want to hear. Cause inherently security is going to be seen as, Oh God, they're going to tell people no a lot. <laughs> and so the more you can get away from that, the better. And, and make Absolutely. sure if you, if you're going to reference another team or another position like the CTO, make sure the CTO is aware of that <laughs> um, as you go talk to the CEO, because it might be just, you know, a very casual conversation. You might not even get feedback from the CEO, but the CTO doesn't want to all of a sudden get a call from the CEO saying, Hey, you know, I heard you were, you know, you were, you know, working with the CISO on project, whatever, project X. CTO wants to know before he gets that call so that you know, goes back to some of the information we talked about before. Maybe the CTO needs to check with his direct reports to get some information on Project X, and he doesn't want to get caught off guard. So you may you want to make sure that you you make your peers and the other people in the company aware if you're going to bring up something and, and present it to the to the CEO. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you. I, th- I think all of that is really sound advice. Um, I do have an audience every time, uh, so I it does change the the conversation a little bit. Um, but do you I, ever, in that audience setting, do you ever prepare, do you prepare individually or with other big people that are going to present? Um, I, I prepare myself and I, I bring it, I allow the people that, so I, when I prepare like a deck or something like that, I, I send it to everyone a couple of days ahead and like, this is what I'm going to talk about. Do you have any questions? The CTO is included. 
um, the other people are included in that conversation. So they have questions they, they can ask beforehand. So they're, they're all knowledgeable. Of what's going they're on. all knowledgeable. But the reason why I was saying is that then you can, but are there any things like, hey, you can go with a CTO and it's like, like this is an initiative that's been really successful between our two things. Instead of me producing a deck, how about we present together on the benefits to the, your technology team and what you guys were achieved. And I can present what we were able to achieve and how our oneness, our harmony, or whatever terminology has produced even better reports. Because that's the hard thing for leaders at that level to get is to get people working across. Those yeah. Boundaries. So, so I can, I can attest to that. So if, if there's a difference between a, a call that happens, what, every 14 days, every two weeks, sorry, uh, maybe even weekly, uh, and getting a status update individually um from five or six people um then if you have a call that happens that call happens and then one of the calls you have two of my leaders pr jointly presenting something and how it was beneficial it, it it's a lot not only it makes both leaders look better than all the rest first of all <laughs> yeah, uh but it also it also gives the the CEO much more confidence in all the teams and all the people that they're that that you're talking about the, the the team that you're leading because they see that there's now cohesion that's happening and it's one less thing they have to worry about. Yeah, I think that that could be a little better. There is some cohesion, so I do present with someone else. Um, we work on similar initiatives, um, for instance, security awareness training or something like that. Um, both of our teams work on it. Um, so we kind of present that our initiatives that we that we collaborate on together, but it's not like a special project or something like that where we're presenting, hey, this is the project that we did. So I definitely feel like that could be better, but we do present on our shared initiatives together um, when it when it comes up. So I could definitely work on that. There's another thing, and this isn't about that relationship, but to give it some different perspective. Um I had six managers reporting to me, and when what when they came to me with proposals at decks as individuals, I could say no, and then I would send them back and I'd say, "Bring your peers because they're the team, so five managers they were another team themselves, they were my leadership team, and they needed to work together and the most empowering thing I could tell them I'm like I tried to explain this, but eventually got it you know if all four of you four of you come as one person i can't say no unless it's just plain wrong because there's sure there's no budget there's no whatnot but if it's just a decision because there's a lot of power in numbers there's a lot of power in the ability to convince people hey i think they're wrong but four people that i've trust and built a team and relationship with are coming forward to say that this needs to happen it's important it's a big barrier. That's a big burden to say no. I can't make money growing trees. I can't give them an extra billion dollars. I can't change physics, but I do, I have to really take that decision very, very seriously. I actually think that's a really, really valuable advice there. I agree. There's a, there, there's something interesting that happens when, um, when manage, when people become, you know, individual contributors work on a team, they generally work towards one or two, two, epics, goals, projects at the same time, right? Depending on how large uh, your teams are. But 
when someone uh, leaves that that role as an individual contributor and then becomes a manager, they start you know they start treating their team as an, a unit and they start you know trying to correctly manage and gauge priorities and start to to manage the people on that team. And then when you get to the role that you're in, now you're starting to think, okay, as now I, now I have several teams that I'm trying to manage priorities for. I'm going to rely on my managers to manage the individual priorities, but now I need to think, you know, horizontally or maybe outside of my organization, how these teams are going to interact and start to manage business priorities. You, then, 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 you know, as you, as you can think, the people on the bottom, you and everyone else, as they're, as they're working, they're trying to like manage their own span of control and their goals and the scope of their, their role. A lot of times in support organizations, especially like CISO, infrastructure technology, uh, software infrastructure teams, teams that are, you know, that aren't building a product, they forget how to work together with their immediate peers because it's not what they're thinking about. So you don't, you know, as someone, you might not think that the person who you're talking, who's adjacent to you in an organization that, you know, you rely upon a lot, but isn't your customer. You don't necessarily think, oh, wow, how do we work together and how do we make our relationship and our teams more efficient? And that continues sometime <laughs> for a while before, you know, a leader uh, or, or a team figures it out that they need to that they need to actually work on that. Absolutely. And to make that personal, I think that is the key component I've added to be why I was successful. It wasn't because I was technical. It was because I was able to look laterally and willing to play connections of things I saw and connect them together and then speak up. That would be my probably my biggest contribution to every job I've ever had. That's really valuable. I appreciate that. Yeah, that's that's great. Um, definitely have some things to take away from this conversation for sure. But I do have another question. Of course. Um, we kind of talked about mentorship, mentoring, right? Um, what advice aside from the advice you've already given, would you suggest to further, um, I guess, mentor and mature and put into my teammates? Like, what, what are the things that you would advise me to do as a director? What is it that I can do for my senior managers below me um, to help them become better leaders? I'll go first. Sorry about this. Um, you can have your status meetings. You can have all your normal meetings, but you need to have a one-on-one -on -one meeting with your managers and you cannot talk. Let them lead the conversation. It is their time. By having it be their time, they can't say anything wrong. They just get to explore whatever they want. And if they don't, you have to extract some out. You have to sometimes pull. You have to make it comfortable for them. But that time needs to be for them their mentoring session. Like, what do you want to do? Do can, you want to be a CISO too? Great. How do I help you? You want to learn how to be a CEO? Great. How do I help you? Do you know how to do budgets? Great. Let me, let me teach you that. Whatever it could possibly be, you have to make it exposed to them so that you can learn about them. And then from there, start spending time to either find things they don't like and explore things they do and keep them growing. I, the key I found that the one-on-one -on -one meeting is the most important meeting for that, but it can have zero status updates. It has to be a completely 
not them. They can't bring anything work-wise. We're not talking about plans. I don't care what's going on. This meeting is about them. And carving out that time also shows that they're supposed to do it for their teams. They're supposed to make the time available for the people that they're supporting as managers. I, I like that because I'll be honest with you, that's not something that I do. It's not something that I do all the time. It definitely becomes a status meeting um, also, but a check-in meeting as well. But when you mentioned just having it all about them, allowing them to speak, that's something I absolutely don't do and something I could definitely work on. So Jeremy stole a little bit of my thunder. Um, but Sorry. No, that's all right. When I first started leading my current team, I sat all the individuals down separately and I, I asked each one of them, what are your career goals? What does your path look like? You know, three, five years, whatever it is. And, but I wanted to, I made it clear to them that that path could be something within a team. It could be something within a department. It could be something within a company. It could be something outside of the company. I felt that as their manager and their leader, it was my responsibility to help them achieve their goal, whether it's something within a company or something without, outside of the company, or whether it's something within information security, or maybe they wanted to make a, a complete career change. So I dedicated myself and I, I made a promise to them that I would help them achieve their goal, no matter what it was, you know, whether I benefited from it or, you know, as a, as them remaining on my team or whether, like I said, they left and went someplace else that I think made a world of difference to those individuals. And since them one has moved on to lead their own team. One has moved on to a different department and one is still, um, one of, uh, one of my leaders under, under me he now leads a team, he still reports into me. So they all took three very different paths, but I'd like to believe that I helped them and supported them in achieving what each one of their missions were. So I think that's pretty considerable and pretty sizable thing you can do as a leader for the people that work for you. Absolutely. Um, just, I think that's great. And that's something that um, I just want to continue. I don't want to lose sight of that, right? My, all of my managers were individual contributors. Um, and as I moved up, they moved up to become senior leaders in their work, but I don't want it to just stop there. So I think Jeremy, great advice there, Ozzy, great advice. Um, I want to continue to build their, you know, mature their styles, their management styles and their career, whatever they want to do. So I would caution one thing, you know, um, I, I agree with everything that Jeremy and, and Ozzy said, um, sometimes, uh, you, you need to listen to your managers also and if, uh, and understand that, um, maybe it's not the job for them. And that's one of the hardest things, uh, you know, as a leader that you'll need to do. Right. Um, I've had that happen to me before. In fact, the, the person that, um, uh, was an individual contributor, they became a manager of a team, uh, a different team than they, they were originally on, which I think is key too. There's a, there's a difference between becoming a manager of a team that you're already kind of the de facto manager in because you're the, you know, your technical lead or you're the person that, you know, has been there the longest tenure wise. Um, but, uh, 
sometimes, you know, uh, people won't say it to you. Uh, there'll be, there'll be ways that you can recognize it and you need to keep, you know, your eyes open and ask the right questions, uh, even though they're not going to totally be upfront about it. Um, it might not be, and, and that could even just be someone's looking to, for a, a new change. It doesn't necessarily need to be, um, that, uh, uh, they don't want to manage people. Yeah. You have to have your finger on the pulse. I agree. Um, and that's why I think what Jeremy said was really important. Something I need to do a lot more. So. That's what we all need to do. We all learn that. Yeah. And we all have to keep, we all have to keep reminding ourselves of that. Even if we, (laughs) even if we've learned it and know it, it's a constant reminder. Ozzy's very humble. I try to be on this call. I don't think about that at all anymore. You just, you get to a certain point in success, right? Ozzy, where you're just, it's just second nature. <laughs> <laughs> no, but it's true. <laughs> so great. I, I think, I think we've got a good session tonight. Jen, it was wonderful to meet you. I don't want this in. I don't think we do. I think this is just a part, part of an ongoing conversation. Um, and yeah, it's great to learn a little bit about you. Text us at any time. Um, we'll set up some time to chat again soon. Sorry, I didn't mean to cut across you. No, no, please. Um, no. Um, I just want to say thank you for inviting me on the podcast. This is uh, my first podcast, and I'm really excited to to do this with you guys. And I really appreciate all the advice um, and guidance you've provided tonight. Well, hopefully it's helpful. <laughs> it was. Jen, when you, when you get to your second podcast like I am... Then you'll you'll feel a lot more comfortable. It'll be like you know, like wearing an old I, shoe. Yeah, <laughs> I'm at seven only because John's at seven. Yeah, well, <laughs> we have twice the experience of this man yes. here, oh, and yes. we're. I was going to say it, Ozzy, but I didn't. Don't do it. <laughs> so thank, thank you. you very much, Jen, and I think we're good. See you guys.